parts of our lives inside Either we're in traffic at work or close eyes How about we all agree that it's way overdue to take back our lives What's up, guys? Welcome to the Work Wherever podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about AI automation, the ability to work wherever so you can live every day like it is Saturday. And today just happens to be a Saturday. I'm recording, so don't mind me. But today's episode is a bit of a doozy. So there's been a couple announcements that have come out that there's been a breach in Microsoft Outlook. Exchange server, to be exact which we are Microsoft partners, so we've been making our members aware, uh, our clients aware that there has been a breach and there are certain things that we need to, to do in order to ensure that we are no longer vulnerable, to make sure that uh, everything is, is taken care of. In fact, I think there is a August date. Let me just go ahead and... Yeah, so CISA, so the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency uh, here in America... They've given U.S. federal civilian agencies until August 1st, so a couple weeks, to resolve four serious zero-day vulnerabilities announced as part of a Microsoft's monthly patch Tuesday release. Now, this was from July 13th, so that Tuesday was last week. The inclusion of the four vulnerabilities... CVE 223-320-46, CVE 223-320-499, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into the exact ones, but maybe we'll link this article. This is CISA's catalog. It means the bugs are already being exploited by hackers. Again, this is the 13th. When all of these hackers were going in and they were taking advantage of, of Outlook, right? An exchange server. Now, who runs Exchange Server more than anybody else? And the answer to that would be enterprise and government. More agencies are running Microsoft than any other platform. There are very few agencies within the federal government that are running Google. Just point blank period. It, I, I don't honestly know of a single one. I don't know of a single eight. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't any. I'm saying I don't know of a single one that is running Google. I know of... Every agency that I have ever been around is either running Microsoft Exchange or an older, well, we can't even run the older versions anymore, but there were like IBM email running, which I think at one agency, I'm not going to say which agency it was, when I first joined, they were running like Lotus Notes, I think, um, was the, I think that what it was called, Lotus Notes, but they have since migrated off. Nobody's running Google. Again, Hit me in the comments if you if you know of an agency running Google. You don't got to shout out what agency it is, but I don't know of any. Now, that was the first article that came out basically saying, hey, there's been a hack, and it was all kind of hearsay. 
it was like the government pointing fingers at Microsoft. Microsoft stayed relatively quiet. Same day, Microsoft then does admit and says, so this is a headline, Microsoft admits unauthorized access to Exchange Online blames Chinese gang. Now, depending on who you search here, you're going to see state sanctioned, which means that you know, the Chinese government s- sanctioned or supported the efforts, or you're going to see this uh, Chinese gang headline. Now, when it comes to China, businesses around China, gangs within China, high-ranking um, officials, um, powerful organizations, it, it's all essentially the same thing. It's the state, right? Nothing happens in China without the top knowing about it. That's how China runs. That's how China works. So to say that it's state-sanctioned probably isn't too far off here. And so I'll get into this. It says Storm0558 had access to customer accounts and mail, maybe even for senior U.S. officials, reads the subheadline. So U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo and other state and Commerce Department officials are reportedly among the victims of a China-based group's attack on Microsoft's hosted email services. The widespread report cites unnamed officials as their source and note that the U.S. State Department denies that any classified systems were breached or any data was stolen. That part of it I probably do agree with. I do agree with that there were probably no classified systems that were breached simply because... In order to get into a classified system these days, like a SIPR network or something like that, it's off. It, there's no internet access. So when you say classified, you're probably meaning something along the lines of that, the SIPR networks, which I do agree. I look, if you got in, it's really you know it's it's really it's easier I should say to get in through the internet to some one of these updated accounts, um, one of these updates rather, to get into your accounts via the internet and get into a low level federal network where maybe you have unclassified information, you know, maybe there's not, you're not required a secret clearance to get in and around the information. And does, is that still important? Yeah. There's still really important information there. There's still PII of American citizens. There's still a lot of stuff that they could have grabbed. Now, when you say classified, what do you, what are we talking about here? But if it lays on a zipper network, Hopefully, they didn't get anything there. And they say that systems were breached, but no data or classified systems was touched. Okay. So they had access to our emails. They had access to important information. They just didn't steal anything? How do, you, how do we exactly know that, though? Because nothing's missing? The way that data breaches and data systems work you don't always know what was taken. You understand where things got in. You see when the action was taken, when the action was taken, who got in, maybe through an IP address or something along those lines. But you can't always 100% sure. Sure, you can track a little bit through loggings and records and stuff like that and see kind of where things were touched or downloaded or, or manipulated or modified. But you can't, Always tell for a hundred percent where somebody was in. So I do, you know, I hope they're right. I hope they didn't get too much information, but 
This is uh, this is a tricky one. So the U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, and the FBI issued a joint advisory detailing how a federal civilian executive branch, FCEB, agency was tipped off when it observed mail item access events with an unexpected client app ID and app ID in Microsoft 365 audit logs, as the app ID did not normally access mailboxes items in that manner. So let me break that down real quick. Within Microsoft 365, there's something called modern authentication. And so within modern, modern authentication, you no longer just need a username and password in order to get in. That is like a legacy way of getting in, meaning it's an older way of access. Usernames and passwords is, is, is pretty not secure, right? You want some sort of an MFA or 2FA access there. A lot of that now is handled through the, the Microsoft Authenticator application, through a push notification, a phone call. Duo is another applications that are being used out there. Um, there's there's lots of them, right? There's tons of 2, 2FA applications that are out there that are sending push notifications. The alternative to that is what they're talking about, which is called an app, an app ID or an application ID. And so these app IDs are a long string of letters and numbers that are created for a specific application, a, a, a specific data entry point, computer, um, an API, something of that sort that needs access to the Exchange server so that I can transfer information without having to do a push every single time. That's called an application ID. And that was created during the point of modern authentication, the implementation of modern authentication, which, like we said, the TF, the 2FA or the, the MFA. So that app ID, what they're saying here is something got access that doesn't normally access. So some sort of API, some sort of some sort of something, a machine, an IP address got access and it rose some eyebrows. So let's let's read on here. The FCEB agency reported the activity to Microsoft, which confirmed threat actors accused customer email accounts through Outlook Web Access. So OWA is the Outlook Web. So when you use the office.com or Outlook online, not through Outlook as your desktop application, Outlook Web Access or OWA, that's where this exchange online um, reached the unclassified data. So Microsoft said it was made aware of the hack on June 16th. That's an important date here. But had kept it under wraps while working with the impacted customers and notifying them prior to going public with further details. This was, so I had seen some activity around this same time where using PowerShell, members were getting in through OWA, through certain IP addresses, implementing a rule into Microsoft Outlook where they are pushing the, uh, they're sending out emails and then they're trying to grab money, financial information, to say, hey, pay this, do that, and then writing an Outlook rule that any sent mail during a specific time period was then transferred to the deleted account to kind of cover any footsteps. That was what we saw right around the same time frame. We cleared it up relatively quickly. At the time, I wasn't aware that this was a more widespread attack, but apparently it was, and it was affecting a lot more than 
the few clients that we saw um, had to deal with it. But this OWA attack, this was a pretty big one. But again, that date, June 16th, this article of announcement is from July 13th. So almost a month later, we're being made of aware that it was a more widespread attack. That is an important date. It, when, when, a, when something like this happens, the sooner that you respond, the better. Now, organizations like ours who are on top of our message center, who are looking at secure score, who are monitoring IP addresses, who have rules and policies in place to account for you know, unknown IP addresses or unknown logins or what is it called? I think it's called uh, unrealistic travel where somebody logs in in D.C., and then somebody from a separate IP address logs in in like Michigan or California or something like that a couple of minutes later. That's what's referred to as impossible travel. It's not physically possible for me to travel across the country in a matter of minutes. Therefore, it raises alerts and alarms go off. And so then you can go in and see where the impossible travel happened and you can blacklist IP addresses and, and see through the logs as to what happened. If you wait a month... A lot can happen in a month. Now, there's organizations like ours that were probably readily dealing with this. Hey, we saw this. We took action. We removed um, any traces of it. We blacklisted IP addresses. There are a lot of organizations that do business with the federal government that are small businesses that don't have what we have. Lots. Tons. That just don't even have an IT team. A lot of... The Beltway Bandits out there, big organizations that you would probably think would have their own internal IT team, don't. They're, all of their people are placed on contracts place, uh, you know, to support the, the, the end client, supporting the government. And then internally, it's largely project managers, uh, CXOs, you know, enterprise level executives that are dealing with these things. So to think that you know, every agency, every organization that's doing business with the government is just aware of these things and knows that this is going on is is just simply not true. So you you got to be careful. And so when you when you don't announce this stuff for a month, people can get into some serious trouble. And I really hope that that wasn't the case. But that's a really shady move if you're asking me to not announce it for a month. So let's let's read on a little bit more. Redmond said the threat actor had operated since May 15th. Whoa. Two months now. Important dates here. When it gained access to the email data around 25 organizations and other associated consumer accounts. That's within the federal government, mind you. Entry was forced by forging email authentication tokens and was a and uh sorry, with an acquired Microsoft account and MSA. Wow. Consumer signing key. Microsoft, which reported the event on Tuesday. Oh, man. Oh, man. Microsoft reported it so late. Attributed the attacks to a China-based threat actor. It tracks as Storm 0558. Microsoft, guys, come on. Drop the ball here. Two months to report. So you're aware of it May 15th. Initial word is June, what What did I say, 16th? You make a release on July 13th. Critical, that's critical time of response. 
And I understand that you're probably going to take a hit, Microsoft, here, and a little bit of PR, because the reason why the federal government and enterprise organizations do business with Microsoft is because of the security aspect of this. Microsoft Defender is a great tool, and it does help monitor. It does help keep down things like this. But based on this article of information, you're talking about a Microsoft account, not a not a forged insider account, but somebody got access to a Microsoft account with an application ID and they had access for potentially two months. That is not a good look. That's a really not good look. We assess the adversary is focused on espionage, such as gaining access to email systems for intelligence collection. This type of espionage-motivated adversary seeks to abuse credentials and gain access to data residing in sensitive systems. That's from Microsoft. So two months go by, and Microsoft allows potential to make this worse over two months. When an adversary is looking for intelligence and they're diving into systems, every second matters. When two months go by, that's completely unacceptable. The amount of intelligence that can be gained over that time period is irreversible. It, this is not a good look. Now, when you talk about all the layoffs that Microsoft has had this year, when you talk about all of the artificial intelligence implementation, all the automation, all of the Azure functions, all of the threat intelligence and computer systems that are taking the place of humans. Now, mind you, those are in the customer service. They weren't in security. They were in hardware. Hardware sales is what we've been told. So whether or not that has anything to do with this, it's almost irrelevant because Microsoft made it very clear that they're looking to replace people with technology, at least at the top level. And that's where this happened. This didn't happen through a Microsoft partner. This didn't happen through the partner network. This didn't happen through you know, uh, a, a developer rollout or something like that. This happened through a Microsoft service account into the systems and then spread out. This is a Microsoft problem. And it's a big one. And it doesn't look good when you're laying off people and trying to replace those people with technology and artificial intelligence because that's when things like this happen. If you can manipulate the technology and you can manipulate the systems and that becomes more widespread, that's when you run into some serious problems. Serious, serious problems. U.S. Department of State spokesperson Matthew Miller said on Wednesday the department noted the uh, Microsoft uh, blah 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 the agency would not make a public man this is not good I'll tell you what CISA and Microsoft addressed the issue by blocking tokens issued by the acquired key and changing the keys. Microsoft stated that it has completed my mitigation of the attack for all customers, including implementing automated directions. 
oh, detections for known indicators of compromise. This is bad. It's really bad. And then obviously we blame China. Microsoft blamed China for it, which it it seems like this. Uh, look, if we have a clear track record as to who it was and we have these names and we, and we can uh, directly attribute it to China, which we blame China. We met with a Chinese counterpart on this. Wang, I'm going to mess this name up. Wang Wentao, 10 days following the May 15 breach to discuss strained relations, China has an obvious interest in reading any thoughts she shared in email about the meeting. So they had a meeting 10 days later after the meeting, after they clearly are not getting along the United States and China right now. And then 10 days later, there is a breach on the department where basically like, I wonder what they're saying about me. I'm going to hack into their emails to see what they're saying. No bueno. On Wednesday, China's foreign ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin used the agency's regular press conference to point a finger back at the U.S., calling it the world's biggest hacking empire and global cyber thief. So they're saying, look, yeah, we hacked you guys. <laughs> well, they didn't really say yes, but they're saying they do it all the time. Why is this our fault? Why do you got to talk about us that way? Look what you guys are doing. Which, that's an easy finger to point at the United States. Do we collect cyber intelligence? Of course we do. Every major country out there who is worried about their defense is blocking cyber threats or making cyber threats or gathering intelligence or blocking other countries from gain, obtaining intelligence. In fact, you could argue everything that's happening in Africa right now is all a fight over intelligence. You have the United States, you have China, you have Russia, you have all kinds of countries from all over the world, Europe, that are just gathering as much intelligence as possible in multiple countries, Africa included, which nobody's really talking about that, interestingly enough. But this is an ongoing game. And when there's a major breach in 25 systems within the United States government during a very key time in history, really, with all of the war that's going on uh, with Russia, Ukraine, with the elections coming up, with the artificial intelligence pushes, there's a lot going on right now. There's strained relations between the Biden administration and China, even though there's, there's these crazy links that are being uh, thrown out there that they're saying that there are there is more of a tie between the Biden administration and China than leads the eye. I, there's a lot of theory out there right now. And you would hate to think that some of these ties between these alleged ties between the Biden administration and China had anything to do with this. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that there is. I'm not saying that there is a tie between the Biden administration and China. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you would hate that this to be a byproduct of anything that is happening within the media release of these accusations between the Biden administration and China. Because our media is all about the headlines. Other countries read those headlines. They see, see these strain relationships. They see these accusations of the executive branch of the United States in cahoots, in leaking data, in giving intelligence to foreign ad, uh, 
adversaries. And then those adversaries then hack or potentially hack multiple agencies within the United States. This is not a good look. This is not a good look at all. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens between now and August if we can get if we can actually get this stuff cleaned up. And then if there is any additional fallback from any commercial organizations that are still dealing with the hack that may or may not have access to certain information within the United States. I think this is a bigger deal than people are making it out to be. I think that this is one of those things where people just don't really understand what all it means when you're gathering intelligence. Kind of like that spy balloon. When the spy balloon came through, everybody kind of poo-pooed it and kind of made fun of it and was talking about like shooting down balloons and with BB guns and stuff like that. Intelligence is king. Data is oil. The more data and intelligence you have, the more powerful you become. And this is an incident where hopefully not, but this appears to be an incident where China has gotten, has had an, at a meeting with our members of importance, our secretary, what was it? Secretary of State, State Department. We've had meetings with China, with China to try to patch relations now imagine this imagine you are having a a meeting with somebody you really don't like a neighbor in the neighborhood you don't really like them a couple of couple of you and your uh, friends in the neighborhood get with a couple of their friends in the neighborhood you sit down to talk about i don't know something that you, that's going on in the neighborhood that that you guys are feuding over right you guys go back you shoot a couple emails to your friends those are probably not going to be very friendly emails talking about the other. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, gosh. He's such a jerk. You know, this person, I can't believe this is going on and blah, 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 blah. If the other neighbor were to get a hold of those emails, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. And that's just the, the aftermath. The actual intelligence that was gathered here is the actual gold. That's the actual oil. That's the actual... That's the actual goods that they wanted. Data is king. Whoever has the data is king. And that is how it's going to be for the next 10 years. Right now, this whole cyber attacks, it do, it's not an act of war. But it should be. This is serious. And it just shows you the landscape of the world that we're at right now. Let me know what you think. Do you think I'm overreacting a little bit with this data? Let me know. Do you think that... Um, do you think we're at war? Do you think we're at war more so than we actually lead ourselves on to believe? Because I do. I think that we are we are at war and we've been at war with Russia and China. It just hasn't been physically physical at war. I think our cyber, we've been at war for years over this stuff. And we're going to continue to be. Let me know what you think, guys. Thanks for sharing the show. Thanks for hanging out. Until next time. See you. Well, guys, thanks so much for watching and or listening. We have had a great time. Hope you did, too. You can find all of the Work Wherever podcast episodes here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or all of your major streaming platforms with new episodes dropping every Monday. Make sure to follow us at Capital Presence on all social platforms to stay up to date with the things all Work Wherever related. See you next week.